Welcome to Talking Tuesday. I am your host, Fancy Quant, and today we are going to answer, um, I'm going to say subscriber's question. Uh, they messaged me on LinkedIn, and then LinkedIn oddly grayed out their profile, told me it was spam, and wouldn't let me respond to them, which I find very odd, and I've had quite a few issues with LinkedIn lately on very simple things, like people I've been connected with now, they can't message me. Um, anyway, so let's just dive on in here to the question. Uh, they basically thank me for, you know, the channel, especially in reference to model validation, because I believe they work uh, on the sell side, I believe in model validation at another bank. And they mentioned, you know, it's been great that I've been highlighting some of the flaws in the industry and some of the issues. And they asked this question, have you seen things that are not being done properly and suggested changes, but are told things like there is no capacity for those changes, etc.? Uh, in these situations, how do you go about con correcting them? I've been very transparent in issues I've come across like this myself, but don't feel I'm getting the necessary resources for these changes to be implemented. I have some discussions lined up in the coming weeks, but I was hoping to get someone else's perspective or experience. Uh, again, really appreciate your time. If you have capacity to respond, that would be amazing. Ah, LinkedIn it drives me nuts. I can't respond to these. So yeah, so LinkedIn doesn't allow me to respond to this through message. So I'll respond to your video, uh, to the podcast. I'm sure this video will come out way too late for <laughs> any value for her. Um, but I will just do this anyways. So these sort of questions are really hard to answer. And the reason being is because one, these happen in the real world and there's always so many layers and things that play into these that could be valid reasons for not going forward with them, or they could just be complete nonsense and invalid reasons. So let's dive through some of these issues. I'll give you guys some examples here with this as well. Um, but let's just talk about resource constraints. So I think a lot of junior employees, myself included, when I started um, many years ago, uh, working in the, the banking side, um, I just thought like, you know, I'm going to work, I'm building models, I'm learning, I'm reading, I'm very excited, and I'm getting a lot of stuff done. And I really was, it was a great time, especially my first job. Uh, it was an amazing time. It They gave me so much free time on top of actually my responsibilities that I was able to do my normal job, which they hired me to do, which I was brand new at. So I came in in 2014 at one of the regional banks, um, large, large regional banks. They were CCAR regulated and they were just kind of getting through the motions because DFAS came out in 2010 and it takes time to get resources, which we've been talking a little bit about. Uh, so we had to hire a bunch of quants, which banks didn't really have, especially these regional ones. So they added all these employees. And in 2014, I was, I believe, uh, the first actual employee hired to do implementation at this bank for CCAR. So Again, looking at the resources here, um, we started out with nothing, but I had so much time. I could learn, I could build, I could develop, I could grow. Uh, it was a great experience. But as I got to more senior levels and when you're in meetings, more so with senior people, you start to kind of get a glimpse of some of the issues of resource constraints and the politics going on behind the scenes. And then as you become a manager, now you're stuck in situations where you know what you need to do and you know you need to get things done, but you literally are like the things you need, you just don't get. And then you start to figure out as you're requesting things, there are political reasons on budgets and budget constraints and uh, someone senior wants to do things a very specific way and you don't want to do them that way or somebody else doesn't want to do them that way and then there's conflict, even if you're not a part of the conflict. And so these sorts of things start to impact um, 
changes and things being done the right way. And one of these I think I want to highlight on this season in general with a lot of these videos is that there's this massive frustration inside of me. And as I've been going out and talking to other quants at meetups and, you know, I'll just run into them at different jobs or I'll message them on LinkedIn. We have this consistent frustration, which is the business side has no freaking idea what we were actually doing. And it's this kind of this one-way street where often I hear from the business side, you know, those quants, if they just understood how the finance side worked, you know, we would get, you know, better models and things would get done and they're yapping yap about it. And they put all this pressure on all the quants like, oh, they're just... They just don't know anything, right? They just don't know the business. They just knew the business. And yet when the quants are going out to do presentations and explain, so as mentioned in this question, some of these changes that need to occur, we can't communicate the reason that change needs to be made fully because the business half does almost nothing in most scenarios. And there are some that are amazing. I had a CEO at one of the firms that like everyone I talked to was like, the guy's a genius. He understands things. He understands like the modeling to the level that he needs to understand. It. Like he'd never be able to build a model. He'd never be able to do the operational side, like the, the nitty gritty stuff. But he understood things to the point that he could make critical decisions and very good decisions because he understood what uh, each technical department. So whether it's, you know, the, the quants or whether it's, you know, data engineering or operations strategy analytics and pricing strategy and like he understood how all the pieces got put together and how they impacted them but this is very very rare and so often the issue i think coming into this question is is senior management has no idea what the hell's going on because in their mind they look at it and they go it's this big number you need a lot of money to solve a problem or I got to rock the boat. So now let's say I'm the, I don't know, chief risk officer of a department. You want me to go in and you want me to force the development team or the validation team to do things the right way, which I don't know if it's the right way or not because I don't have the technical background to make that differentiation. And it's going to cost a bunch of time and money and effort. We're going to have to switch everybody and make them do things the right way. And I put it right way. We'll put it in air quotes. Uh, because the problem is they often don't know. They don't know enough of the nuanced details to make a difference. And quant finance is one of those areas I think that's extremely frustrating because the amount of knowledge needed to do the job just in one specific area, one specific space is huge. And then expecting quants to know multiple areas and then to know the business and then to do the communication of these ideas. It's, it's a far larger burden, I think, than anybody on the upper senior management side has any idea what's going on. It's, it drives me nuts. Now, I've had some senior people, some executives that have like sat me down and like, Dimitri, stop, just stop. And I'm like, just frustrated. And they go, I get it. I get what you're doing here. I understand you're wanting to do things a better way that is more robust, that will help the firm, that'll save us money in the long run. And I get you're trying to get to that point. And those sort of sit downs, those sort of discussions I've had, uh, those have been amazing. Like those things just take you from just like raging and like being upset and wanting to punch someone in the face, which has happened on multiple occasions of me wanting to punch someone in the face, but never done it. Uh, I've remained calm, cool, and collective in most scenarios. Um, I've stood up over a desk over the top of someone and berated them before, which was definitely my, my lowest point <laughs> career wise. But, but looking at these sort of problems, looking at these resource constraints is frustrating. 
Um, because often, as I mentioned, the, the first point I want to make here is that the business side often doesn't understand or management. So I'm going to have a business side here. Business side can mean a managing director of a model development team. I mean, often you've got nepotism of people hiring friends and family. And I mean, I've, I've seen it all. Um, or racial discrimination, which I've seen as well, that they bring in these other individuals who have no idea what they're doing. Like I worked for a guy that ran a validation team who had two whopping years of experience and was the head of validation here. And these things blow my mind. And it, it blows my mind, I think, that regulators don't step in and say something. And in this case, they said something, but they didn't do anything. Like I wish they would like, I don't know. I know, I, I want less government, but sometimes I wish they would come with an iron fist and make some corrections. But, um, <laughs> but I deviate. But yeah, so these sort of things start to get dicey in that sense. It's hard to communicate. It's hard to explain um, these sort of ideas and kind of issues here. That's kind of the main point. Now, the resource constraint point is challenging as well because now put yourself in the position of, let's say, the chief risk officer or the head of validation or development or whatever your title is. And you're the senior person and you have a junior person coming up saying, I need this change. I need to make something happen. They explain it to you, you understand it, and you're like, awesome. Um, an example of this was, I mean, we had a firm that was trying to switch from SaaS to Python, just as an example here. Now, I don't think this is a great decision. There are a whole bunch of other things that play into it. But when you look at these things, you start to have to figure out, like, first of all, cost. And cost is really, really hard to figure out. So don't believe people that tell you it's really easy to figure out. It, it's super hard. Um, so say just in this made up example, we're switching from SAS to Python. Okay. Every code, everything that is maintained is in SAS. You're going to have to switch it over to Python. So right off the bat, you should be saving money um, by getting rid of SAS because it's very expensive. But now here's the flip side. A lot of the costs associated with this one, uh, you have to move everything from SAS to Python that doesn't need to be moved. Like if you just kept SAS, you wouldn't have to do that movement. So you have to pay people now to recode and process and move everything from one language to another language in this example. Uh, the other piece is that if you had, um, you'd have to retrain employees. So one of the things I don't think a lot of junior staffers realize is they go, oh, I'm so excited. I can program in Python and R and MATLAB and like all these things. Uh, the guys that are actually building these high-end models that are typically senior or the senior people that have to review this, they've been working in this one language, language for like a decade or more. So now you got to retrain them. People go, well, so what? We'll just buy our new people. Um, there's a lot of intricate knowledge and specialties within quants building models in specific areas that you trust me the, the junior staff has no idea you have no comprehend you can't even put the puzzle pieces together and i know because i was a junior uh a junior quant doing uh credit modeling at a bank and there was this this guy is a great guy to work with and i always called him my boss even though i didn't technically report to him but he led all of our projects and like i saw the math so freaking clear that i could clearly make decisions on the modeling piece but he had the bigger picture of doing this for over a decade in the credit space. And he could see like, Dimitri, you are right. This is going to make this impact and this is going to improve this. And this is the correction. However, the way the business is going to use this tool is going to make some sort of issue here, here, or here, or this model needs to now get plugged into this other model. Did you think about that? And of course, being a junior employee, I'm like, oh, let's make models and like, look at accuracy and, oh, I did some robust testing. And like, you get really excited about these sorts of things. At least I did. 
Um, but at the end of the day, you start to realize like, you just don't see like you do to your senior staff. So you need your senior staff. It is extremely hard to keep them, especially if you're like, trust me, we'll keep you, we'll keep you. And then we're training everybody else in a new language. Um, so in this example, right, that is a cost of training people, hiring people, getting good quality people. Cost management on the whole employee side is huge. Um, I've had recruiters wanting 10, 20, 30, 40%, I think up to 40%, 40% of someone's salary just to have a recruiter find you someone. And finding really good top talent is extremely challenging. So that's that's another cost that goes into this. Um, in this example too, you have to start looking at the intricate details of the product. So Python, which everybody goes, oh, it's so amazing. It's a generalist language. It's not made for statistical modeling. I said it, it's not made for it. It doesn't do it very well. Um, again, it can do math. So any program language per se that does math, that can do math, I mean, computers are all zeros and ones. So you can always do math. That's great, but now do you have to program in different sorts of layers and analysis that were already automated? So I had, um, I'm looking back and kicking myself. I'm like, yeah. When I was at the banks, I had stuff automated and it was built and it was like, I would just run in and pull stuff. Like these aren't even packages, not put in air quotes, not packages. It's just SaaS. I had SaaS code and I would just pull a function I built and it would do like all this work for you. And so streamlining, streamlining wise, this was amazing. My work was fast and efficient. I could get around quickly. Uh, when I've moved into Python though, at another firm here, it has been a huge pain because Python doesn't support these things. Or I find out it just doesn't calculate things correctly or it misrepresents things. It calls it one thing when it should be called something else. And it's not wrong, uh, usually per se, I mean, it's misleading, uh, but in a firm that's making millions or billions of dollars off these sorts of models, like you can't afford to make these sorts of risks here. So these are the sorts of things that you have to start looking at on the cost side, on the training side, on the product side, um, or just intricate details and sort of your issue in general. Um, and then on top of that, then you have all the political nonsensical jargon that you have to do. So now if you say, okay, I need, I don't know, $500,000 to make this switch, which sounds like a lot, but <laughs> it's probably pretty cheap to be honest with you. I would expect it to cost even more than that to do a full switch at a full size bank uh, with full models, suites and switching and everything. Um, yeah, so these sorts of things then start getting political, which is annoying and frustrating. And as an example, let's say you're, I don't know, the head of validation and you're wanting to make this switch because moving to Python to save a bunch of money, we'd get a bunch of new talent, uh, maybe we have the staff to build out the packages. So that's really not that big of a deal either. Like maybe this is a slam dunk switch. Um, but then you, you go to, you know, execute this and you find out the head of development, which you're equals in a bank, uh, the head of development, cause you both report, um, typically to a executive, different executives. Usually the head of validation reports to a chief risk officer and the head of development reports to like chief of strategy or analytics or something or operations. Um, but then you now have these two equal heads and you might be pushing for the change and the other person's like, screw this, we're not doing this. I can barely get employees in the door as it is. And then we have to train them and it's super costly and we're just hemorrhaging money on the development team. It's great validation got figured out, but development's not there and we can't afford to make that sort of switch here. Or maybe I've got my staff's average age is, you know, 50 and above, like we're in the late 40s, early 50s. I'm not going to get rid of top talent just because you think, you know, you're going to switch languages. 
And so then you start to have these debates and discussions here. Now, imagine you're taking this to your head of validation and you're explaining it to them and they're like, yeah, this is a great idea, but we don't have the resources as a really good excuse for it. Because one, it's costly. Uh, two, it's a nice scapegoat to not have to explain this. Because one of the worst things as a manager is when somebody asks you a question and I really want to tell you the answer, which is like, wow, this other person on the other team is being a real pain in the backside. And, you know, and explaining like, this is what they're doing and these are their reasonings and this is the nonsense, especially when someone's coming to you wanting you to make the change like, and you want to make that change as well. Uh, you're feeling like, yeah, this is a great decision, but this is not the hill I want to die on. And I think that's to give you some advice here, you know, a little bit of perspective on this is the question I try to ask myself and I, I fail to, to answer it correctly most of the time, but is this the hill I want to die on? Like, is, is this the one sticking point I'm willing to basically lose my job on and have to go out and find another job. And often it's like, I know guys, I, I uh, have the same uh, mentality as many of you, at least on the quant side. It's like, I know the answer. I've done the analysis. I've done the research. I've looked at the problem. I understand the issues. Like this is a slam dunk. We need to shove this through. Like this needs to happen. It's going to make us so much more efficient. Uh, it's going to benefit everybody. And I was talking uh, to somebody recently about this, talking about um, the misalignment of incentives where often it's like, you know, managers don't like to take a really risky position either. Just another point. Uh, because what happens, you say, okay, manager, go out there and make, so let's say, I don't know, SVP or managing director or something, go out there and make this uh, big stance, make this big change um, and risk the fact that you could just not get a good bonus for the year. So you look at it and you think, okay, well, let's, let's do the math here because this is what managers often kind of think about, which is like, if I rock the boat and I piss off a bunch of people and now I'm on the bottom, when I go to get my annual review, I'm going to get a low annual review and I'm not going to get a decent bonus this year. Okay. And then on the flip side of that, if I rock the boat and force everyone to change it and it fails, I'm also going to look like an idiot and not going to get a good bonus for the year. Now, this change that we're discussing, some sort of change here, um, or this risk or new project or whatever, this might be wildly successful for our customers and will add a ton of value, but it's really hard to execute or it's there's a bunch of unknowns with it. So it's like you could be a massive hero or you could just take the, you know, the easy route. And the easy route's going to be you get your expected bonus, you're already ahead for the year, right? You're meeting the budget, your team's performing well, you've already succeeded on a bunch of other projects. Like, why take the risk? And I think that's where we're having an issue here. And this is where a lot of financial research has gone into, you know, how do you align executives and managers' performance uh, with the, co the company's bottom line here? But also, I think what most people ignore and kind of skip is there's a risk management perspective of do you want managers or executives are taking a gamble um, to get a big bonus, which maybe some of them are going to take the opposite position, which is like, screw it, let's just make this massive gamble because my team hasn't done much this year. We're not getting good performance this year. Like we're already at the bottom of the stack anyways. You might as well take a massive bet. Um, again, trying to weigh these sorts of things, dealing with the politics of this all starts to play into now the person on the bottom who's making a request that could be a completely valid request and should be done. But now you've got other people kind of weighing in on the costs, as we mentioned, on the political side. So do you want to fight these, you know, 
arguments. Uh, this might affect their compensation, their performance. And then kind of to wrap this up a little bit more, I think kind of a final point, which I think would be interesting. I don't think a lot of people think about either. Um, the quant finance space as a whole is also very challenging because often the, the nuanced details that we want to change, we want to make that small incremental detail. Um, management office says, okay, fine, you want to do this? Show me exactly how much it's going to save us and how much it's going to cost. And going back to that cost piece a little bit. And often it's like, well, I don't know. And there's actually no way for us to know. And then they go, well, what do you, uh, obviously you just don't know what you're doing then. And they just brush you off because they don't understand this. I start to think about this too from a modeling perspective on the quant side, which is like, often it's like, okay, the way people write documentation seems stupid and silly. Like who really cares? But often having really good quality documentation um, might actually make model redevelopment later faster. Or it might make your validations go faster, which can cost you less money. But then it's like, so prove that. Right now you have to get people to do these sorts of changes, which is challenging. Um, and getting people to do the right thing, and getting people to switch over. I think these are other issues and constraints that we start to think about. So I hope you guys start to see the bigger picture on here. Um, I kind of came off, I guess, as supporting why managers don't make, you know, the decisions often that other people recommend or other departments are asking for junior employees. Um, but I hope you guys realize with this that it's, there's all these different pieces that go into it. Uh, there's a lot of planning and budgeting that goes into it too. So one thing that I just, ugh, I hate doing is budgeting. I hate it. <laughs> I hate doing budgets. It's the worst thing ever. Um, because I have to tell like, you know, senior management and budgeting and planning for your department for the year, like how many employees am I going to need moving forward? Do we need more? Do we need less? Are we cutting costs? Uh, if we take on all this additional costs, what exactly are they going to be doing? Which projects are they going to be signed out on? And it's like, I, I, I don't know. I really don't know. And that always is what makes it tough for me, at least. Uh, just giving you my personal perspective on it. So doing the resource piece, doing the capacity piece uh, is challenging. As you're mentioning here as well, often management will say, fine, go work on this project and then see what you can do. Often knowing that you were understaffed, but sometimes we're kind of just looking to see if you can do like a an example, like a sample problem and see that like, okay, you know, she went out there and she did all these, you know, changes. Maybe let's say it's the documentation thing. They made these changes in the documentation and they went through this one project and they showed that the validation team actually finished two weeks earlier, which is a huge deal. It's a bunch of savings. And then they showed that, you know, um, it's most likely going to be even easier to redevelop, but they can't really show it because you need more time. And so it's kind of a fail on your end and you're just disappointed and bummed out because it's like, yeah, validation finished a bit early, we didn't get much out of it. Hold on to faith. Um, trust me, managers like myself, even when we put you on these, and even if you don't have the resources, because I don't have the resources, um, and sometimes people just don't want to help you that could be the resources, which is a whole other political battle you often fight is getting people to help and move positions around. Um, these sorts of pieces, though, it's, you know, keep up the faith, keep up the fight, mention these sort of arguments. But again, at the end of the day, ask if this is something like you're willing to really die on the hill for like, if this is really going to make or break you, if it's not and often, like I mentioned, I think it is, but it's usually not that important. Uh, just try to step back a little bit, try to unwind, go home for the day. Don't care about the job. You don't need to be an all-star quant every single day. Uh, go home, watch some Netflix, watch some TV. I don't know, read a good book. Like, just don't worry about it. I know. I know it's hard. 
it's hard for me to, to, to break off um, from my jobs and my positions. And I'm like, I've recently been like real emotionally charged on some issues. And so, you know, trying to dis- distance yourself from them, realize their companies, other people are going to fail. It's annoying. It's frustrating to watch them fail because you could have helped them. Um, but realize that there might be actual constraints you just don't see, whether it's political or cash flow or other things. Also realize if they give you a chance to do it and you don't do it well, that's fine. Like, just brace with it, guys. It's good for your learning experience on, you know, how to plan resources because you can see that you needed more. Uh, it's good also in the sense that you realize uh, where your boundaries are. You learn kind of a new project and a new process as well. You start to get manager skills by doing these sorts of things because you start to have to deal with more people and issues and failures. And that's kind of the pressure we get from the management side. So I think it's a win-win. Uh, don't push too hard. If you get a shot to do it, do your best at it. Um, but try to be a little bit more balanced and realize there's probably things you just don't see and realize and that's probably why um, you're not getting the support here. Now, that being said, I have criticized the industry constantly about the lack of rigor and intelligence. Um, I've seen recently in the last, probably, I don't know, since I left banking, uh, actually before that, probably about 2020, we saw the amount of quality work industry-wide just go down the tubes. Some banks are still holding it up. Many are not. Uh, I've been talking to friends and people and colleagues, and they're just... They're morally defeated and are kind of just coasting in these positions now because firms have crushed them with, don't do your job. Don't really spend too much time building models. Don't waste too much time and money validating. Just check the box. And I thought it was maybe just me or just a firm or just a friend. And as I got going around the industry since 2020, so about almost three years now, um, almost four years now, but going through that, it's just guys, there's a lot of issues and a lot of problems to solve. And often the manager side is they're just not going to be there to help you either because um, most often they're trying to survive on their own and their careers, uh, trying to make sure that they don't get chopped as well. And typically the higher up you get, the more visibility you get. Um, But at the same time, it's typically quicker to get cut. Whereas as a junior employee, often it's kind of easier to hide in the school of fish. Uh, the pack of uh, junior employees or, you know, VPs or whatnot and not rock the boat too much. So those are my tips on rocking the boat. If you should do it or not, kind of looking at these projects, resource constraints, manager constraints and politics. Thanks for listening. If you found this podcast interesting, please do share it, subscribe. It really helps me out. So as always, until next time.